Welcome along to What's the Chat with myself, Alison Creek. And myself, John Wood. And can we just say, Scotland Rugby, thank you so, so much. Thank Tears you. of joy screaming oh. on the couch on a Friday night. Really, it was just what a fabulous start to the weekend. Oh, unbelievable. I mean, the thing was, what they were saying is like, I mean, it's, it's been a Six Nations like no other with COVID, obviously. Yeah, but yeah. my God, red cards, yellow cards, drama, 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 fab. And the last minute when young Hastings did the pass and oh. his face Vander Gorgeous, big yeah, tall broad. <laughs> Thank you, Vander Gorgeous did the last minute try. It was it, honestly it reminded me of the good old days of Scottish yeah. rugby. It really did. It was a joy. And thank you so much to everybody that's been in touch. You can email us on uh, what's the chat podcast at gmail.com and that's exactly what Barry did. And Barry was talking about you, John. All right, okay. He was saying that last week you went into great depths, the way that only a food-obsessed man and obviously a food-obsessed woman, because I'm listening, you were talking about your recipe with the pasta and the tomato sauce and the anchovies and the garlic and the capers. And he said, it's called a puttanesca. Yes, it is indeed. He is right. He is right. It is a puttanesca. Well, can you take a leaf out of his book and save five minutes of our podcast just saying, and I had a puttanesca. All right, a puttanesca. We mentioned the story about Roddy McDonald who had the heavy guitar and he had to sit down when he was playing it's the Mahogany set. Man. It was yeah. Mahogany Man. So he got in contact with me, with me this week. And oh, he did, he, did he hear it? Yeah, he heard it and he said to me, you forgot one thing. There was a girl went past and knocked the main switch because all the amps were in one plug with adapters, right? And she knocked the adapter off and the whole thing went dead. And Roddy just shouted over, drum solo! (laughs) (laughs) It was over to you, was it? the power back on! Buddy Rich. (laughs) That's right. In Stafford Street, that's where it was. Actually, I've got an email from Bruce uh, who says, thanks very much for the podcast because he was just going down to Waitrose and he listened to the first half and then he went to Waitrose, came back, listened to the second half and just as he got in his driveway, we finished and he thought, perfect timing, thanks. That's exactly what we're doing at the moment, 30 minutes of this nonsense. Uh, And then we've got some good interviews with people and so we're going to do little snippets of the interviews in our 30-minute podcast and then we're going to put the unedited interview out at a different day so that if it's a topic or a person that you're interested in, you can listen to it to your heart's content. And if you just want a little snippet, then that's available too. So there you and go. And some it's good stuff. There's some really good stuff. Dave Williamson, who's the bass player for Midjure. A little bit of backstory about Midjure and Ultravox and what working with them is like, which is rather interesting if you're a bit of a muso like us. Which mm. really bothered me this week. Oh dear God. Well, I'll tell you what. There are people walking along Stop Bridge with ski sticks. Now, unless Stop Bridge has changed <laughs> to K2 or Kilimanjaro, or you should actually maybe rope yourself to a Sherpa to go into Scotland, I give up. I, to my knowledge, up the part, there are scores of them training with these ski sticks. To my knowledge, no one has fallen off a leaf on tarmac <laughs> and died. <laughs> Do you know what they are? I don't they care. are called. Oh, you really have got it in for the old stick wielders. They're called Nordic walking poles. And what they do, and this is true, apparently you burn about almost double the amount of calories if you use these things than you do if you're normally walking. So there's quite an art to it. Because I agree, when I used to see people, I used to go, for God's sake, what the hell's going on? And then one of my neighbours took it up and said she had the firmest bingo wings in the land. 
Really? So it's all about the bingo wing? I just <laughs> it's think... It's all about just, you know, you move around. I know it. I think I agree. It does ridiculous. It Absolutely ridiculous. Anyway, I've not got bingo wings, so I don't need it. There's hardly any weight in the sticks. No, but it's the way you fling them forward and, you know, you poke them into the ground and then you march up to them. Apparently, apparently, it's a right. thing. So basically I, my argument against the sticks has fallen on deaf ears. Is that what you Yeah, think? I think it has. You might surprise yourself in a few years' time. I've got a picture of you wandering around in Relief Park with your Nordic walking stick. <laughs> Nordic walking stick. <laughs> no, I know it is. does sound like some sort of Monty Python ministry of funny walks contender, doesn't it? does a wee bit. It's a bit like um, everybody now is getting into the bloody sea to swim and you get the, oh, for, you know, you should try it. And I think, no, I'm not going no. to plunge my white stroke blue body no, into I'm the North not Sea. not shriveling up down there for anybody. <laughs> Sorry. Tommy Smith, who we talked about uh, a while back, he was yeah, friends with Bradford Marcellus, right? Yeah. So Tommy Smith had a gig in Italy and it was in Rome, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. So... He's playing away, and guess who the keyboard player is? It's actually Mussolini's grandson. Okay? Yeah, Mussolini's grandson, this is true, is Uh a jazz pianist, right? So Tommy's playing away with him, and the other guys are playing away, blah, blah, blah. And then it comes to an interval, and they went up to the the bar for a drink, right? So Mm -hmm. there's Mussolini's grandson, so they're all at the bar, distinct lack of conversation and chat, and one person just pipes up and says, Pity about your granddaddy. Pity about your granddad. Oh my God. He does. How bizarre. He's still playing. He's still playing in Rome or Milan. Mussolini's grandson is, is a his jazz surname penis. actually Mussolini? I don't know. Because that know would be that. a bit of a giveaway, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it would be. Yeah, playing yeah. tonight, Mussolini. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, there wouldn't be that many people popping in, probably. But there you go. Well, you could have said your granddad made the trains run on time. That was good. Get in touch with John and Alison on What's the Chat podcast at gmail.com. Right, the first concert I actually thought was indeed, yes. Then I remembered there was a gig that I was taken to as a wee boy by my mum and dad on holiday. Brilliant. We had relatives in Harrogate, my cousin Jim Michael and my Uncle Bill and Auntie Kathleen, and we used to go down there on a regular basis. Did you have two cousins called Jim and Michael, or was it one called Jim Michael? No, there were two of them. One was called Jim and one was called Michael. It was just the way you said that. I know, Jim and Michael. I know, yeah. Jim Bob. Remember Jim Bob? Yeah, from... And the Waltons. That's right, yeah. 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 One year we were down there and we were told, we've got tickets to Batley Variety Club. Went along to Batley Variety Club And I didn't know who we were going to see Lights came down Who came on stage Frank Ifield Did you even know who he was? Well, because he used to yodel He was an Australian English country singer Francis Edward uh, Yodler Yodler, yeah, yeah. He used to. What was his song? I remember you was one of them. Frank Highfield. Oh, I remember yeah. you. you. You're the one who made my dr- that one. And they taught me how to yodel, yodel, yodel. They used to do all that. So I Frank didn't know you could yodel. You just I, yodeled. I, I can't. That's my just voice yodeled. breaking. That's my voice breaking. Basically, I think you're a bit old for that. So there you go, Frank Highfield at Batley Variety Club. Over to you, Miss Craig. Well, funnily enough, I thought that the first gig I went to was Slick which was Midjur's pre-Ultravox, which we'll talk about later. But actually, again, it was my dad took me to the Aberdeen Music Hall when I was about 10, maybe, to see the Ray Conniff. Oh, now you're going back. 
big American, I think they were American, orchestra, but big band, you know, brass section, the drums, the it was the full razzmatazz. And I have to say, I just sat there with my jaw open, you know, with my heart in my mouth. It was the most exciting thing I'd ever wow. seen. And I honestly think that it had a profound effect on, you know, what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, that would in, be an amazing spectacle as well. It really was. It was just, I, I just remember absolutely buzzing with it. And eventually I ended up at the at school, you know, they t- in those days they'd take you into the careers office and go, so what would you like to do? And she sort of looked at my pitiful exam results and she said, I said, I'd like to be in the music industry. And she went, right, well, I suggest you get a job in a record shop. And that was it. <laughs> Career advice from the Aberdonian careers mistress in the late 70s. Thanks very much for that. That, that actually reminds me of a story my dad told me when he, when he went to sign up in the war and they were training down south and they were all lined up. The sergeant major obviously was a bit of a hard man and he says, anybody here, stand up straight when I'm talking to you. Anybody here, a musician. And my dad played saxophone, so he put up his hand and this other guy put up his hand as well. He says, good, two of you come with me. Right, that piano needs shifted from there to that room over there. <laughs> There was one, I remember actually when we were at uh, the RSMD, when it was in, well, it's now Mandela Square. It's now, oh, it why was, is it all called the Conservatoire de yeah, French de Poche de the, Glasgow yeah, now? Yeah, it's called the Conservatoire. Because why? it now has so many strands to it. Like there's a, a jazz strand to it. The dance hmm. thing, I think, has taken off as well. But it still is the, the old RSMD, which yeah. I said was in Mandela Square, which then was St. George's Square in Glasgow. Sort of red sandstone building. Anyway, got long story short. And I know you I, I can't, you're not, not, no. What? I'd like you to breathe because you just went. <laughs> well, I actually the, thought you were going to asphyxiate there because you were so keen to tell your story. You forgot to breathe. So calm and breathe in and out. And in and out. Anyway, our local pub was the Ivanhoe, which was after Ivanhoe. that the Buchanan oh. Street Hotel. Ivanhoe, indeed. And it was named after him, obviously. Um, so, anyway, because Ivanhoe was written by <laughs> Sir Walter Scott. That's right. That's right. So there you go. And it was a series in the 70s. I'm sure it was. I remember Roger Man Moore, in Tights. Was it? Was it, was Roger it? Moore? Um, So anyway, it was Christmas time. We're all going home and we all, everybody assembled there. Now, bear in mind, there were opera singers, there was musicians, there was dramatists, there was oh, all sorts. Anyway, it was a great bunch of people. So we're all standing there, having a drink, waiting on our train at Glasgow Queen Street Station. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the trumpet instructor... Who, I mean, the musicianship is just, I mean, it's right up there, okay? He yeah, opens his yeah. trumpet case and starts to play the theme tune from Coronation Street. Right, so he starts, wah, 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 right. And, of course, all the other musicians start to get their musical instruments out. Mm-hmm. Elaine Smith and I, who were in the same year, we ran round to the college and got from the music department a whole load of Christmas carol books, right, with all the Christmas carols in them, handed them out to the people in the bar because there was opera singers there and all the other uh, other musicians. Fantastic. And there was an impromptu concert in the Ivanhoe with all these high-caliber musicians. And then it, I think we sang about six carols. That was it. We all had to go. I'll wait to get a train. See you next year after New Year. And it was one of the most magical times I can remember. Mum and Dad booked a 
a golf holiday in in America and they were going off and something happened. I can't remember what it was. I wasn't supposed to be going with them. But anyway, I ended up going with them and we went to North Carolina. And uh, we, I remember we walked into this, it was like a big wooden old lodge and we walked in and my dad went straight up to the reception and went, hello, you know, Craig family checking in, where's the bar? And the woman looked at him and went, this is a dry state, sir. And my dad was like, what? <laughs> he said, yes, sir, we ain't allowed to sell alcohol. So I could see my dad going, right, we're going home now. But uh, we were allowed to go into the next state, buy booze, put it in a brown bag, take it back into the hotel. And between the hours of 6 and 7.30 every evening, you could go into the basement of this hotel and drink yourself stupid. (laughs) So that's exactly what we did. Taxi across the state line, got the booze, came back. And I remember we went downstairs into the basement of this bar and, uh, you know, it was really quite a weird setup. It was a bit like prohibition, really. And we were in the hills of North Carolina, you know, so it was quite a mixed bag, shall we say. Uh, Anyway, this guy gets onto the stage and picks up the sax and he had played in the Glenn Miller Orchestra. Oh, wow. And he, I remember his name was Bud and he was absolutely spectacular. So everybody else went up and went back to dinner. Me and my mum and dad sat there with him, you know, until everybody left and we just sat there and drank with him for hours and heard all his stories. But what a musician he was. It was just, it was an absolute privilege to hear him play. Spill a packet of crisps on the floor, they'll read it. You know, they're, that, they're, they're un- unbelievable. You mentioned golf at the start of that story. My dad and my mum were on a holiday up at St Andrews and they took the dog with them. The dog at that time was Glenn. It was a beagle. And they decided to go to the hallowed ground, which was the first tea at St Andrews. And they took the dog with them. You know, my dad always liked to dress for holidays or dress for the occasion. So he's going to St Andrews just to watch the people tear off the first tee and watch them putt out of the 18th. So he's got his sports jacket on and his shirt and his cravat. And he's got my mother and her, and their arm in arm and Glenn. And I wasn't there at the time. It was when they were sort of courting anyway. Uh-huh. So they're, they're walking along. And, and uh, my dad stood just by the first tee. And uh, there was a sort of colonel guy and a very posh guy his partner playing and they looked over at the dog and they went I'm sure there's a basset no no it's a beagle I'm telling you James there's a bloody basset you know yeah. at which point Len decided to sit down and shit on the first tee <laughs> Much to the horror of my dad, it's a beagle, it's a basset. Christ, it's having the shit. (laughs) Well, a little bit earlier on, uh, we had a chat with Dave Williamson, who was the bass player for Midjure, and just asked him a few inside stories. I was wondering why he chose Vienna. Was it a movie? Had he been there? I think because they wanted to go there to do the video. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> At least it was it was that very kind of new romantic uh, yeah. pointy sideburns pouty raincoat vibe. The you know. Raincoat, the rain, epic yeah. raincoat. And because Blackpool wouldn't suit. No, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't quite roll off the tongue in the same no, way. No, can't see. Although it would have that sort of foggy mystical effect, but uh, when you pull back and there's Blackpool Tower, it's not quite the same. It was a great video, though. Tremendous video. It was. Yeah, I mean, th- th- there was an element of oh, let's write a song that we can fashion into an excuse to go and do something uh, <laughs> exotic for the week. Maybe we should be doing that with the podcast. Maybe we should come uh, up with the what's the chat, Rio. The first gig I ever went to was Slick. Ah. ah yes. Which was, well, mid-years. 
I don't know if it was his first band, but my, it was at the Capitol in Aberdeen, of course. Oh, you right. know, that okay. scene of many a crime. Mm. And it was the most exciting thing I'd ever seen. I remember going around the back, probably with Sarah and Jeff, my friends, and standing there and he just put his head out the dressing room window, which was the first floor kind of thing. And he had a comb in his pocket and he combed his hair back because it was a very short, slick, slick yeah. haircut and flung the comb down and that's when we all lost all personal control and <laughs> guddling about in the gutter trying to get mid-year's comb which I failed to get oh, no. <sighs> but no it was it was a seminal moment in um, in my life actually and oh. the thought that my old pals now as bass player does give me a bit of a thrill oh well I'll, I'll mention it next time I see him yes I'm, I'm not sure when that will be sadly at the moment but yeah um, I know he yeah. went off. I did actually interview him once a few years ago and he was living at that point or he was about to go and live in Canada. He had a home in Canada. Oh. Uh, he had a very well-appointed sort of, I mean, they call it a log cabin, but it was vast and huge picture windows overlooking frozen lakes and things. And I think he was a Jack Daniels drinker. Would that be correct? Yes. Before he got his act together, yeah, when I first started working with him, he, he still liked a dose of the prescription, as he called it which was basically a tall glass with uh, 98% Jack Daniels and 2% Diet Coke. I just remember him being a really nice guy, you know, because obviously having been that teenage girl in the front row screaming at him on stage, you get a bit twitchy and a bit sweaty of the top lip, you know, but he was very easy to talk to and a very, very nice guy. So He is. He's a good, he's a good man. Well, you must think that. Yeah. You've worked with him for, what, 20 years now? 20, 20 23 years. I mean, what had your year looked like until COVID? The last summer had a whole string of festivals. There's predominantly a thing called Let's Rock. And that's proved to be, I mean, not only hugely successful. We did Edinburgh a couple of years ago, Dalkeith uh, Country Park, and 20-odd thousand people rolled up. And it was heaving. I mean, great crowd. And halfway through the set, Midge because he's a fair old guitarist, he starts playing Flower of Scotland and everyone starts oh. singing along. And oh, It was just Brilliant. a fantastic hairs on the back of your neck standing up. And thanks very much indeed to Dave Williamson for that. Uh, it's an, always great to hear, isn't it? I mean, we're always in the crowd looking up. It's nice to hear how the bass players feel looking down. Oh, you know, we're talking about first gigs and, and my lucky... Or sorry, should I say long-suffering husband. Um, I just asked him what his first gig was. It was quite cool, actually. Well, the first gig was the Skids. Well, there were two guys at school called the Bar Twins, and they were quite pally. So they came to our sixth-form common room, which was able to hold 50 or 60 people if you were really crushed in. And the word had got out that the sixth-form common room was about to be completely refurbished. But that turned out to be a bit of a myth. But it didn't stop the audience from dismantling the entirety, including all the furniture, the fixed seating, the whole lot. It all came out that night. It was a great, great concert. And there seemed to be a little bit of beer involved as well. Great memories. So that was Dave talking about the skids. I think mm. we just had the janitor that came to our common room. That was it. He told us to get out. <laughs> Back to pork, 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 pork. pork. My mum and dad were big 
golfers. I mean, you know, not particularly good golfers, but obsessed with the game. Eventually, my mum took up because she never saw my dad. So uh, anyway, I remember we used to go out to Cruden Bay, which is north of Aberdeen on the coast there, and uh, they would play golf. And and then inevitably, after the golf, there would be a bit of a jump up in the golf club. But kids weren't allowed in the golf club. So we had to sit outside, all of us lined up, you know, sitting on the concrete wall with a bottle of Coke and a bag of crisps. And I used to sit there and you could hear that uproarious laughter and things going on inside, but we weren't allowed in, you know. And it was usually my dad playing his banjo ukulele, you know, and you'd hear them all singing, I'm leaning on the lampos at the corner of the street. And then, of course, my dad would, you know, eventually him and my mum would come out and we'd go and stay in someone's caravan because there wasn't going to be any driving yeah. back to Aberdeen at that time of night. I, used to, I remember sitting in the car and being given the lemonade and a packet of crisps and said, we'll be back in a wee while. Yes. We'd just go to the pub. Absolutely. I mean, that was normal. And you were the that same as normal. me, weren't you? No brothers and sisters. So it wasn't like no. they were leaving no. you, you know, with, with a with a vaguely responsible That's older right. sibling. It was like, on yeah. you go, you'll be fine. And in all fairness, we were fine. Um, yeah. I mean, when we stayed in Cruden Bay, it was with this family, the North, they had four kids and I was often scooped up and put in there with them, you know. So they had one of these big caravans, but this one room flipped down. I think it must have been six beds because we're all in the same room, you know, in the same shelf. Night I was staying there, it was about two in the morning. Terrible toothache, awful toothache. So I thought... Right, I'm going to go through and get my Uncle Alistair. So him and my Auntie Muriel were sound asleep in the other part of the caravan. So I remember waking him up. And my Uncle Alistair had a glass eye. So I remember waking him up and he flipped on the light and turned around and he had a glass on the bedside table and his glass eye was floating in it. Oh, it was like, never mind the toothache, I want to go home. <laughs> yeah, he used to do horrible. He had a, he had a saltire cross eye that you would put in for a rugby international suit. Oh my God, that's and, uh, brilliant. He was quite a character. He would take it out, put it on your leg. I've got my eye on you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's funny how you remember now all the family parties and at the time you didn't want to go along yeah. like, no, no one go along no <laughs> and now you look back going God, that was amazing what used to happen we used to on New Year's Day we used to always go along to my grandmother's house she lived in Dean Park Street down in Stockbridge mm-hmm. and um, all the relatives would arrive you know and from all around and they would all bring their own drink with them and my dad and my uncle was in charge of the bar at you know, in the kitchen. That was a great idea, by the way. That was, whoever thought that one was a fucking genius, honestly. So anyway, at the end of the night, when you know, folk had had a few babies, and it was literally the sort of the spin of the bottle. It was, it's your turn to entertain, and you had to sing. Everybody had their song. Brilliant. My uncle, he used to sing, uh, Who Killed Cock Robin I with the Sparrow? And that was his song. My dad's song was, When Day Is Done. And darkness falls, I dream. And he used to act it out. And I'm sitting there going, oh, for crying. So just, bad, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. But my mother was brilliant. Because I had to sing. My song was uh, uh, My Kind of Town, Frank Sinatra. Oh, I, I love that go. song. I and, had the um, singles. I must have inherited it yes, somewhere along the line. It's a great because the song. Because that was the B-side. Oh, was the Chicago. A-side was Strangers in the Night. No, oh, Strangers, Strangers in the Night, in the night was, right? was the, the A-side. Oh. So anyway, I'd done my song. And of course, my mother... She had to do her song. But my mother was genius because she only knew the first two lines of any song in the world, right? And <laughs> yes. she always picked April showers. So it's like, that quite please, best attention, best attention. Right, Mrs. Ruth, come on now, Mrs. Ruth, your song, Betty. Come on, Betty. Come on, Betty. <laughs> so Betty would stand up and she started off. She's going, those April showers. That's right. Everybody now. That's <laughs> all she knew. <laughs> Everybody now, I always thought for years, everybody now was part of the lyrics of April Shower. <laughs> I remember going, this girl I knew, met her somewhere, I can't remember where now, but she, she was a really good singer and she was looking to do a few gigs in Edinburgh, so I organised one for her. 
and uh, gathered a few people together and we went along and, you know, everybody was sort of around the bar and whatnot. And so she sang for a while and then she handed over to anybody in, in the bar that wanted to sing. And she was like, oh, Alison, sing. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. But then, you know, two laggers down. I was like, yeah, OK, I'll sing. So they said, what do you want to sing? And I went, um, and the only song I actually knew all the way through is Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. Oh, yeah. yeah Very yeah, rock and roll. Uh-huh. So so I got up and sang My Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. And funnily enough, my son walked in with one of his friends and here was his mother, you know, having had a couple of pints of lager singing Raindrops. You could just see eyes rolling back in head, exit quickly to the left, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, love, well, I love we, it. We started playing in the band. There was a, It was basically a trio. There was a Doug on keyboard, myself on drums singing, and also my dad on saxophone. Now these were the days when, well, basically drink driving had just the you know the the law against it had just started to come in. So people would come up to the bands like, right, what would you like to drink? And my dad just used to wink at us and we'd go, oh, okay, I have a whiskey, please. And I thought he'd go, oh, I have a whiskey, and my dad got a pint of lager, please. Thanks so much, dude. So the two whiskeys, the pint of lager went towards my dad, right? And we were drinking water, you know. And someone else would come up, oh, what would you like? Oh, I, I, what would you like, John? I'll have a whiskey, dude. <laughs> And Dougie went, oh, have a whiskey as well, pint of lime, that's very much, and that's very kind of you. Yeah. So the, this accumulation of alcohol would, and then towards the end of the evening, my dad, had, of course, he played saxophone, so the embouchure had actually gone. You know, you could hardly play it. Hang on a so minute, hang on a minute, it's just embouchure. The embouchure, the... yeah, the embouchure is basically the the shape of your mouth as you play the saxophone. <laughs> you know, it's if you've not got the right the you know, pressure on the reed. Just... If you don't get the pressure on the reed, then you, you can't play. Embouchure so anyway, is all over the around. bloody place. All over the shop. So anyway, he's turning around towards the end of the evening and he's conducting. <laughs> I says, it's organ and drums. What are you conducting? And he goes, I became bumpished. <laughs> <laughs> he used to take his maracas and play along. He's laughing, crying out loud. Anyway, he was, he was so popular. We were stowed out with gigs. Oh, that's oh, great. So, oh, I know you must have. I mean, how many years did you play for? I was 16. Goodness actually. me. Yeah. What a great thing to do with your dad as well. Oh, it was good. Bad for his liver by all accounts if he was getting you to do the ordering and then he was doing the drinking. I was only occasionally, <laughs> he didn't do all this. You do, you know, you brush up very well and you'd, you're very dapper and I didn't realise that your dad did that as well. So it's obviously a family Yeah, that was our thing. uniform. Yeah, that was a uniform for the gig. It was, a, it was a dinner suit. In fact, my first dinner suit wasn't a dinner suit because I went to the Royal High and the Royal High blazer was black. So I used to cover over the, the badge and put on my white shirt, my school trousers, which were black as well, and bought a bow tie. And that was me. I was off, out the door. Both. But I remember one time we were playing at the Merlin One Hotel. in Morningside Road. Uh, I, I remember. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah. And it was upstairs. That's where the function suite was. And we're playing away and end of the gig came. And I remember we had a Ford Fiesta at the time and we just managed to get, I had a massive bass drum uh, which was about 28 inches double wooded shell and the tom tom it was the wrong kit basically for gigging but it was a great sound to it so anyway we're packing all the stuff away and I said dad where's my bass drum I mean it's 28 yeah. inch diameter I said where, where, where is it he says I've not got it I says well hold on so I went back upstairs no it's not there what the hell is it and I, I came out onto the road and I saw this guy walking down the road with my no. bass drum <laughs> towards the canny man. So I ran after him. Hey! And I stood well away from him because you didn't know. You know, I said, hey, what are you doing? And he looked at me and, went, and he looked at me and he looked at the bass drum and he looked at me again and then he went, oh, sorry, I didn't mean it. It's like... So it's that moment that we've all had when you've had a few drinks that you want to collect something. He decided, I'm going to take my girlfriend back a 28-inch bass drum. (laughs) 
Oh, I remember when uh, we had uh, Howie's up at Bruntsfield Place and uh, I think it was a Christmas do. Um, we weren't at it. Uh, but anyway, the next morning we went in, opened the place up and thought, there's something different, there's something different. There's a massive painting missing from the side of the wall. You know, a massive oh, painting. No. Nobody noticed, of course. Last thing, they're just getting everything all cleared out. And obviously the guy yeah. just thought, I'll have that. Anyway, about an hour and a half later, you know, uh, the, the, there's a knock at the door and this very, very pale-faced man came in all shaky and he went, oh. I'm really sorry, I stole a painting last night. And, <laughs> and he took it back. He was absolutely mortified. But I remember when we opened Howie's Dal Rai, oh my God, you must have been at the opening party. It was an absolute... Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. we couldn't open the next day. You know, the floor was about two inches oh, deep. In, uh, yeah. But it was yeah. a friend of ours, Chris Bush, who is now a very established and very collectible artist. And it was early days of, of him, um, you know, exhibiting his work and he said he would do an exhibit for us for the opening of Howie's and every single painting was sold Um, and the next day the next few days people were coming back going did I did I buy a painting? And you go, well, hang on a minute, I'll check oh, the list, which oh, was illegible, obviously. And they'd go, which oh, one did no. you buy? And I'd go, I don't know. So n- nobody oh. that bought a painting got the painting that they bought in the night or they thought they wanted to buy in the night. But everybody left with a painting. Oh, it's great fun. <laughs> I'm talking about that bass drum, and there was, a, there was an old story about the guy who pinched a bass drum when he took it back. And his wife says, why have you got that? He says, well, I've not got a watch. He says, it's a bass drum. What do you mean you've not got a watch? He says, you'll see. So at four o'clock in the morning, he opens the window and takes the bass from outside and he hammers it. And the neighbours next door, they're all opening up the window because, what time do you call this? It's four o'clock in the morning, this thing. <laughs> That's terrible. Well, thanks very much for listening to What's the Chat podcast. You can pick us up on any one of the many, many podcast services, Deezer and Apple and Google and all that sort of thing. So please do subscribe and rate us. You can also keep in touch on Facebook, What's the Chat podcast page, and we'll see you there. Right, that's it for this week. My We'll be back next week. I think. Yes, we will. And it would be great if you could join us, whatever you're doing. A lot of people go out for a wee jog, they'll go out for a wee drive and put us on, and that's fab. And keep in contact. <laughs> <laughs> I've got mail order teeth. <laughs> Send them back. What's the chats with Alison Craig and John Woods? I think it's getting better. He should do this professionally. Absolutely superb. I think he's been practising.